This is Dr. Shannon M. Clark with a Doctor Delivers podcast, and today I am discussing IVF and twin pregnancy with reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist, Dr. Tamika Zori. Have a listen. Introducing you, yes. uh, this is Dr. Tamika, it's, it's Zora, right? Or Zori. Say it? Zori. Okay, Dr. Yes. Tamika Zori. And you're in San Francisco. Yep. San Francisco at Spring Fertility. At Spring Fertility in San Francisco. Uh, and she is a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist, and I am maternal fetal medicine specialist. So we uh, have been following each other on social media for a while, and what a better time to talk about something like this, given what has recently happened. And we're not going to dwell on that. I, I yep. really, what I want to do is just talk about what the science is, what the facts are from her end and from mine when it comes to IVF and twins. So we're just going to dive right in. Sounds good. It sounds good. Okay. So uh, let's talk about single embryo transfer. First, what is it and why is it recommended? So single embryo transfer is when we transfer one embryo back at a time in a transfer cycle, whether it's fresh or frozen. Um, that embryo can be, have been tested genetically to determine the chromosomes is a euploid or chromosomally normal embryo, um, or maybe it wasn't tested and that will vary depending on your circumstance, your conversation with your own fertility doctor. Um, so that's the basics of a, a single embryo transfer. So basically, uh, everybody, everybody has the option to get embryos genetically tested. Yes. And they have, when you do the genetic testing on any embryos, they will find out the sex and it's up to the individual or couple, whether or not they want to know the sex, correct? Correct. Right. Uh, And these are embryos that have been developed to day five or six. So we're testing Mm -hmm. all blastocysts, a day five or six embryo. Not everybody transfers those again, depending on your own fertility history. Some people have transfers of day two or day three embryos. We do not routinely test those. So we're like, we're talking about day five and six embryos. here. So yeah, so anything day five or above, you could do the genetic testing on, right? Uh, and you, genetic testing, when, when we think about it as, as medical professionals, we want to know what the chromosomes are, if there's any chromosomal abnormalities. We're not necessarily doing it because we, we want to know what the sex is. It doesn't really matter to us. Exactly. But as a byproduct, when you're checking an embryo's or an egg's chromosomes, you will know uh, or the embryos, you will know what the sex is. So that's how we get that information. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the six, six. Okay. So why? Um, because I know before at some point in time, there was people were transferring more than one embryo in. Yep. Let's talk about that. Why was that being done? What was the, what's the difference between the thought process then versus the thought process now? And why is the recommendation now for single, uh, uh, or SET single embryo transfer? Yeah, so the recommendation is for single embryo transfer. Um, Definitely in anyone, no matter your age, if you're transferring a normal embryo, we recommend one at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you're not testing embryos, then it is based on age. Um, If you're under 35 or even under 37 and you have good quality embryos, we're still recommending one at a time. Um, In the past with IVF, it was known as, you know, this, the procedure that was kind of leading to twins and multiple gestations, triplets, higher order births, um, because we were transferring more than one embryo. And that's because we were typically transferring day three embryos um, or untested embryos. And our technology just wasn't as good in the past with IVF. Mm -hmm. Our technology has evolved significantly so that we have this ability to test embryos. And I will say this is not a perfect test and we can talk Mm -hmm. about that, um, but it does give us the ability to transfer one embryo and maintain really good pregnancy and live birth rates while still transferring just one embryo and improving pregnancy outcomes. Right. So, so from my end, you know, uh, going back to the single embryo transfer does uh, decrease the risk or it's a chance, I should say, of having a multiple gestation. We'll talk more about what 
the potential complications are of a multiple gestation. Um, but is there anything to, uh, based on what you guys know scientifically, I know that you're able to test the embryos and get better testing on them, but was there, is there any thought that if you put in two, that maybe if one's not ideal, it could prevent the implantation of the other? So no, we, we don't okay. think that. You know, there are people who, we, let's say we have untested embryos in a 40-plus-year-old. Okay. Um, putting in two or three embryos in that particular individual shouldn't change the pregnancy rate. Like a, a bad embryo won't prevent the good embryo. Okay. Um, but I like to think of it, you know, there have been studies done showing, comparing single embryo transfers of a tested embryo to untested double embryo transfers. And okay. that study found similar ongoing pregnancy rates. Okay. So there's no difference in one versus two embryos. The big difference we saw was a much higher risk of twins. Yeah. It was 0% in the single embryo transfer in this particular study to 46% risk of twin, wow. which is, oh, wow. and, and the goal with this, obviously we want to get everyone pregnant as quickly and as safely as possible, but we want to do it again safely. Mm-hmm. And a single embryo transfer just really minimizes pregnancy and maternal complications. And we, again, we will talk more about the risk of twins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So does, are there, let's talk about the, the situations in which there will be uh, two embryos transferred. And I'll speak on my own uh, circumstance. I was, I started IVF at age 40. I'd went through five cycles. Um, out of the five cycles, I got to the testing of 16 of those uh, the embryos. I had much more than that that were eggs, but 16 made it to the testing phase, if you should say. And yeah. out of the 16, only one was chromosomally normal. So, and that's based on my age. Okay. Yep. And we transferred that one chromosomally normal. It didn't take. Then we went to egg donor. Uh, we didn't test those for genetics because she was 24, 25. Yep. And there was really no reason to test. Right. Um, we transferred two that didn't take. <sighs> and then transferred two again and I got twins. Yep. So I didn't do it with the expectation or the desire to have twins. I think it was because of my age. By the time I actually had the, trans- the second transfer of the donor eggs, I was you know, 42 and a half. And I had them just a few days shy of my 43rd birthday. Um, so, and I talked about this before. I, I, once I knew I was pregnant with twins, I knew what was in store for me. I had it and I was right about that. And I, and, you know, I've talked about it on a previous video, but are there, when are, are there any circumstances in which, uh, it's not recommended or is it more, um, maybe recommended to put in two embryos? I I've heard that, age of the, of the person it ha- is a factor. Is, is there any, are there any other factors? Yeah. So I'd say regardless of age, if you're testing an embryo or putting in a normal one, one embryo at a time. Um, and mm-hmm. that is our clinic policy. I know different clinics have different policies, but we, that is our clinic policy that we're okay. on. Um, two embryos. So let's say you failed multiple single embryo transfers, even if tested embryos. Mm-hmm. That's a conversation that's different. If you're failing two and three single transfers, there's situations where your doctor may consider putting in two tested embryos. That's going to definitely vary on the doctor and how many transfers you failed, what these embryos look like, etc. Well, it would also depend on how many embryos you have. Yes, and how many right? embryos. Yeah. Um, and then also age. So if you're, you know, over 40, if we're transferring day three embryos or untested blastocysts or day five embryos, yeah, we're going to put in probably more than one embryo. Um, so that might be two or three, depending on your age. And again, the embryo quality itself. Yeah. And then the conversation should still be had. And it was had with me, even though, because I failed transfers already, I, there was no, I did not think that was going to happen, but my doctor did have the conversation with me there. You know, there's always a chance, even with the first time he transferred to, there's a chance you'll get twins. Yep. You know, and, um, you know, and of course it didn't take the first time. So by the second round, I was convinced it wasn't, you know, if if it took maybe one. So I, you know, I didn't expect that, but I, he, he did have that conversation with me. Um, so is that something that you guys do once you get to the point of potentially putting in two embryos under the circumstances you just mentioned, is that a conversation that's typically had? Absolutely. It is always Mm -hmm. a conversation. 
putting in any time more than one embryo, um, the risk of twins and mm -hmm. what that means. Or more than twins. Or more than twins because an embryo no, can split when we put it back in. So that is a risk with IVF that we put in one tested embryo, one embryo, and it splits into identical twins. So what is the, what, yeah, what's the stats on that? What's the stats if you put in one single embryo that it splits into twins? About one in 70, which is much mm -hmm. higher baseline population rate. Okay. And, so let's say we put in two tested embryos and one splits. Now we have triplets. That is yeah. a much higher risk pregnancy. We are talking of a much different situation. So yeah, I, it, it is. And good embryos, two good embryos, you still have a one in 70 risk that each of those could split. And that's, you know, again, different kind of pregnancy. Yeah. So it, the difference is, is that if you, and I'll just go over this real quickly. If you have one egg that splits into two babies. Most of those times those are called mono di or monochorionic diamnotic twins. And they share a placenta, they share vasculature, and that's potentially could lead to something called twin-twin transfusion. If you have, you know, you put in two embryos and that splits and you have mono di twins plus a singleton, which makes triplets, you know, that makes it much more complicated because there's been times where we've had to deliver because of the health of these two, even though this one was completely normal. And then you end up having three preemie babies or, you know, worse in the NICU. So that, that is something that, that can happen. Mm -hmm. So there is a baseline uh, rate of twinning, uh, even with single embryo transfer. And then when you're putting in two, um, there's a chance of having one of them or both of them split yep. and getting quads, which I've heard of that. Not as common, but it, I have heard it happen. But yep. And then a friend of mine actually just had a single embryo transfer and she has mono-mono twins where, you know, they're twins, but they, they're, they don't have a dividing membrane and that's a different type of risk. Yep. Um, so, and that happens too. So what about, and I, I don't, you don't have to explain the grading and all of that. Cause I don't understand it, yep. but I know there's a way you guys grade embryos. Yep. How do you, and this is kind of off topic a little bit, but how do you guys decide, say I had five embryos and they're all different grades. How do you make a determination as to which one to put in? Or if it's someone that has reason to put in two, mm -hmm. how do you decide which two to put in? Is there a science behind that or, or a method? Not a, not a great science, which is why testing is so much better than just looking at embryos and picking okay. best. Um, the testing is better than that. Um, but we're looking at, you know, cell number, the cell size, um, you know, clarity, are the cells fragmented? How does the inner cell mass, that's the area that becomes the baby, how does that look? Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at all of this and giving embryos a grade. Every clinic does it, you know, a little bit differently. Some use good, fair, poor. Some use, um, you know, different kind of criteria to like grade their embryos. And so, you know, that's the the thought going behind that. So if you have good quality embryos, we're hoping those are chromosomally normal. And so if you're less than 35 and you're untested embryos, we'd still recommend transferring one, even under 37, if you have good quality embryos. Right, right. Okay, and then one another question is: Does putting in two embryos guarantee twins, uh, or as I said before, does it increase the chance that at least one's going to implant? Um, so no, it doesn't. We could put in two embryos, and that is absolutely not a guarantee to twins. One may implant, and neither may implant, um, and, and that would be that's unfortunate, obviously. But that's never. So I, I feel like as much control as we feel like we want to have over this process, we still don't. It's never a hundred percent chance that. We for one embryo or even two that those are going to take. Yeah. There are still things that we just don't know. And, and that there is still that difference. And so I, I want people to know that even if you want twins, that's not at all a guarantee of putting in two embryos and guaranteeing twins. Right, right, right. And there's a bunch of questions coming through. We'll save some time at the end to answer those questions. Um, and we talked about increasing risk. Okay. So another important topic is picking the sex of the embryo. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
when you so if so if an uh, individual or a couple wants to know the sex you can tell them the sex and they can make a decision as to what yep. they want to put in right i mean yep. that's their right yep and, and yeah. my is, um, some clinics do not allow sex selection um and, and mm -hmm. that's that particular that is them clinics um options they they can do that they choose to do that but i i am you know I, your body your family your choice and so you can mm -hmm. know that and choose what sex you want of an embryo yeah, so you can make it the determination or, you know, you may not want to know the sex or, yep. you know, obviously if you didn't get them genetically tested, then you're not going to know the sex either. So, yeah, and I, and I, and I know there was some kickback too about that, but I know that's done and I, and I, I know I personally don't have a problem with it. I mean, I know, um, I knew what the sex was, was of the one embryo I had, um, because it was all mine were, were tested, but I don't know that it would have made a difference on what I decided to put in if I had more, but, you know. Correct. We do have the right to know that. So once yeah. you do know that, you can make a determination on what you want to what to uh, transfer. You can. And, and for some people I know, like, again, it doesn't bother me. I, I completely support my patient's decision of wanting to choose the sex of an embryo. Um, but the, the ethical argument in that conversation is, do we go on a slippery slope of choosing yeah. other things in which we can't really determine other things at this point? But that's the other side of the argument. Um, but yes, you can determine sex of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, OK, next question. Um, can someone do, and this was another thing that came up, um, and, and I, I'm just going to say this, uh, you know, I know that this celebrity is pushing, is turning age 40. The way she talked about IVF made it sound like she was doing it electively. Mm -hmm. She may not be. There mm -hmm. might be other reasons, and if there are, it's something that she doesn't have to divulge or yeah. share. I think it was, so we can't assume She's just doing it electively. There may be other reasons. I think it's just the way it was talked and it came across that rubbed people the wrong way. But yep. let's just put it out there. There may be legit medical reasons why she's doing IVF, and I think that's uh, you know a, a fair thing to say. Yep. So, but with the way things were talked about in that interview, people got to thinking. Well, and I got this question a lot, and I'm not a fertility doc. You know, are people just doing IVF because? I mean, like, uh, can someone do IVF just electively, just for the purpose of picking the sex? or to pick twins, um, meaning can, uh, you know, if there's nothing wrong with my fertility, can I just do IVF because I want to? Maybe it's a timing factor, or can I do IVF because I want to pick the sex, or can I do IVF because I want to try it for twins? Is there an elective, ever an elective component to IVF? Does that make sense? It, it does, and, and there is. That's like the one issue with fertility treatment is that it's, that's a, if you don't have coverage for it, we know it's a very expensive. If you don't have coverage for it, it, it becomes this a privilege thing. Like you have mm -hmm. the, so you can. And, and so, yes, like you, if you don't need to do IVF, if you can get pregnant on your own, but you want a certain sex of a child, you can. Um, and, and that is that, that is that person's right to do that. And again, I think in this celebrity culture, we have to realize that we don't know if they're not sharing with us why they're yeah. doing IVF or how they got twins. Like we don't know their personal history. We yeah. can't assume that the 45 year old just spontaneously had natural boy girl twins. Maybe they did, but we don't know. Did they freeze eggs in the past? Did they use mm -hmm. donor eggs? Did they go through 10 rounds of IVF to get these two twins? Like we don't know that. And so I feel like we really have to take that into account. It is not their business. It's not their job to share yeah. with us it's always helpful to have the conversation and just hear other people's experience, but they don't have to share. That's their own personal story and their own yeah. personal But we have to remember that there's more that goes behind that than like mm -hmm. what being in a, in a magazine or a newspaper. Well, since you brought it up, I, I wanted to discuss that. I wanted to discuss what I wrote. I always do an outline. Um, I wrote to discuss the role that celebrity celebrities play in perpetuation, perpet sorry, perpetuating potentially false expectations of IVF. Mm -hmm. The reason why I brought that up is a few, for a few things. You know, we, we're, this is the United States. We're celebrity obsessed. 
and and that's fine. And plus, there's social media everywhere, and yep. it's easily accessible. So we know everybody's family planning when it comes to celebrities. Everybody knows everything about them, even if they didn't want to divulge it, or if they did want to divulge it, somebody's going to know and talk about it. Yep. So that's also kind of a slippery slope because, like you said, you don't know. Okay. But there's also a component of, you know, this celebrity had twins at age 45, you know, and she didn't divulge or he, or they divulge <laughs> that they went through 10 rounds of IVF or they used donor egg. And I am all for, it is your choice to determine how much you want to divulge, divulge whether you're a celebrity or not. Yep. But, but I think we, as we said before, we can't assume how yep. they got them. If they don't want to divulge every aspect of it, that's their right. Yep. But you also, it shouldn't give anyone false expectations either. So yeah. you still have to be realistic. So if you find yourself in that age group, yep. you might want to find out about your own fertility and mm -hmm. see somebody instead of assuming, well, this celebrity got pregnant with twins at age 45, I'll be fine. Exactly. Or not even a celebrity. It was your sister or your friend or your family member. Yep. You know, you can't assume anything based on someone else's experience. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. And, and I think it's important to realize that like when you see a fertility doctor and, and we're telling you these statistics and, and baseline population rates, I'm not telling you that an over 40 year old can't get pregnant on their own. We, I, a 40 year old has about a 5% chance of conceiving. Yeah. Yes. Of you put a 40 year old in a chat room, five of them will get pregnant. Yeah. You know someone who got pregnant the next month. Yes. Five pregnant. So you have to think about that. I'm not telling you it can't happen. Yes. It's less common. And so our goal is to, as a fertility doctor is to optimize your care. I want to get you pregnant and have the family that you want as fast and as safely as possible. Mm -hmm. And that does mean going the IVF route, not because I want to push it on you, but because, you know, that's going to be your highest chance of success. Yeah. And, and I think also as you know, and we'll just throw that out there with the whole delaying childbearing becoming more uh, socially acceptable and being more commonplace, which I yep. think is great. We don't have to have uh, children by a certain age. We can do other things before that. But if it, my, my cautionary tale as someone who did it myself, just if you anticipate yourself delaying childbearing for whatever reason and you're approaching your you know, early 30s, mid 30s, talk to somebody along the way so that you can be assessed and, and get the stats and get the information to help make you decide when and if you want to start that family. Yep. And for someone like Dr. Zori, she can sit down and give you the stats and you know, do a baseline assessment of you and let you know where you stand. Yep. And, and just to, it's, it's all about empowerment and education, I think, it, you know, yeah. Just in knowing. So I, I, you know, again, a big proponent of freezing your eggs or embryos if you have a partner and, and having that option and at least learning about it, you know, it might not be for everyone, but yeah. learn options that way you're not maybe 40 plus and you're, you're thinking, I wish I would have done this. Yes, you know, yes. I personally myself froze embryos with my, my husband when we were in a fellowship because I didn't know when we would have kids. Yeah medical journey is a long process and it was like a just in case. Uh, and so just know your options and be able to just explore them and see what works for you. Right. Right. And, and then I, I'm all, I'm all about that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm glad we talked about that because, you know, it's, uh, and the other thing is seeing someone like Dr. Zori doesn't mean she's just going to stamp. And I say, she's not going to stamp IVF on your forehead and said, well, let's just sign you up. No, she's going to no. talk to you. Where are you? What are your plans? What, yep. you know, when do you anticipate? And she might say, you know, this is what happens to fertility as, as, as people age. This are some things to consider and give you some tools to go home and, and something to think about. Yep. Right. Yep. And I think, I, yep. I think that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, okay. So now we're going to jump into, and I'm not going to go over this again, discuss the risk of twin pregnancy. When I did this video a few days ago, um, it was overwhelmingly positive, but I, I, kind of made a lot of people mad because like you are scaring the crap out of me and I don't want to hear that. And I, and my response to that was, well, 
you know, as, as an educator in general, and as someone who is educating on, on social media, it's not my job to always tell the positives, you know, we got to tell the facts and and what the stats show. And, and the whole topic at hand was, you know, intentionally or trying to intentionally have IV, you know, have twins, whatever way you have to understand the risk of twins and there are risk of twins. And here I'm just going to summarize some of them. Uh, so when we talk about the increased risk of fetal and infant morbidity and mortality, so morbidity would, would mean disease and illness. Mortality obviously would mean death. Um, we have a five-fold increased risk of stillbirth, seven-fold increased risk of neonatal death, and that's primarily due to complications of delivering early, okay, prematurity. Uh, women or persons pregnant with twins uh, are six times more likely to give birth preterm, 13 times more likely to give birth before 32 weeks um, than in people with singleton gestations. Uh, twins born at less than 32 weeks specifically are twice the risk of high-grade intraventricular hemorrhage, which is a, a, a head bleed on one or both sides of the, of the brain, and then also a condition called periventricular leukomalacia, which is another brain disorder that's common in pre- premature babies, especially in the extremely premature babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're at that much of increased risk when compared to singletons or you know, just a single gestation. And this also explains the increased risk of having cerebral palsy with twins or multiple gestations. When you talk about the medical complications of twin pregnancy, we have increased uh, risk of hyperemesis or severe nausea and vomiting of pregnancy, diabetes, hypertension, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy like preeclampsia, eclampsia, anemia, hemorrhage, cesarean delivery, postpartum depression. Um, And then regarding preeclampsia, when you compare uh, in people with twin pregnancies versus singletons, it, it Preeclampsia not only occurs more frequently, but it occurs earlier in pregnancy. And the earlier in pregnancy that preeclampsia occurs, the earlier you're likely to deliver. Uh, and this results in a high, higher likelihood of complications, such as preterm delivery at less than 37 weeks and a, a placental abruption. So, you know, those are the main things. And just for me as an example, uh, I had delivered at 31 weeks. I had abruption. I had short cervix, two months of hospital bed rest. I hemorrhaged, required a blood transfusion. I was like a walking MFM case. And, you know, I wasn't prepared for all of that. I kind of figured I wasn't going to have an easy breezy pregnancy. But the other thing to consider as well, what is a population of people who are doing IVF a lot? Me, over 40s, okay? We're doing IVF a lot. So not only do you have the complications and being pregnant, but being older and pregnant, having pre-existing medical conditions on top of that, and then potentially having twins. So those are all things to think of. Um, when you're over 40 and having IVF. And I'm sure you guys discussed that and, you know, any, all the REIs have good uh, working relationships with the MFMs to, yep. you know, getting a pre, for example, if you have a patient that comes to you over 40, has compl- you know, medical conditions, yes, they will send them to us a lot yes. to say, hey, she Clear. or he or they want to get pregnant yep. and um, they have this condition. What do we, are, are, what do we need to do to get them optimally controlled, right? Yep, I completely agree. And I think that's key too with IVF. You have going through this, you have the ability to hopefully control any chronic medical medical yeah. have. You have high blood pressure or diabetes. Let's get that controlled. Make sure you're on the right medications, the safe medications, before we go through this process of getting you pregnant, because that will just increase your risk of issues in pregnancy with having those, you know, prior conditions. Right. And, and that's important to have, you know, that, you know, and I see those patients and, and they get talked to a lot about that, you know, before they do uh, go through IVF. We, you can do something called a preconception consult with a maternal fetal medicine specialist where we look at your past medical history, current medical history, past uh, you know, pregnancy history, and kind of give you an assessment of where you stand and what we think you might need to do to optimize your health before uh, getting pregnant in general or pursuing something like IVF. Yep. Um, 
Okay, so the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I, I, and I didn't have this in the original draft, but I'm pretty sure you could talk about it. I, I added it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get asked this a lot. Is there any evidence of adverse pregnancy ep- outcomes being increased in IVF pregnancies? Yeah, so, you know, we see a slight difference um, in terms of, one, it likely has to do with if we're transferring, if we have multiple pregnancies, because yes. we're going to have higher risk of preterm delivery, preterm labor, um, and then those pregnancy complications. But there, there is potentially still a difference with an IVF pregnancy versus a spontaneously conceived conception. Um, and, you know, we don't really know the cause. Does it go back to the underlying infertility of the woman or the yes. man? Or is it something that we're doing in the lab? You know, we, we still don't know. Yeah. So that's why I, I would still say if you, if you don't necessarily need IVF, I would still say, you know, try on your own. Even if you froze eggs and now you want to try to conceive with your partner that you have now, try on your own still. I, I would still always say that. And you can always come back and use those eggs if it doesn't work or if you want to then sex selection for a baby two or et cetera. Um, but there possibly is something underlying that we, we just don't know. Is it the baseline infertility or, or what? Yeah, I mean, there's a, what we call confounding factors. Yeah. You know, studying anything in pregnancy I mean, you have two beings to begin with, and there's so many things that can, you know, muck the waters, if you will. It's really hard to say this calls this yep. in anything that you're studying in pregnancy. Yep. You know, but we do know, like Dr. Zori said, if um, there is an increased risk of what we call ad- adverse prenatal outcomes or prenatal outcomes. And this, these are some things that we, uh, like we hep- talked about early pregnancy loss, hypertensive disorders, diabetes, preterm delivery. Um, some questionable, but maybe congenital anomalies, um, as maybe some neurodevelopmental disorders. Like now, this is all still being investigated. It's all still, you know, uh, there's studies out there you can look at. Um, but is it just because IVF, as Dr. Zori said, or is it because of what's going on at baseline, which is necessitating IVF to begin with? Yes. Yeah. Whatever it is with the infertility, or is it something with the process? We don't know. And, and I that, don't know that they will ever know. I mean, right. is there a way to ever know? And that's right? why it's hard to say cause. Like, causal is yeah. hard. Associations yes. are easier because you can not prove it, but you can kind of show that better than you can. Yes. And so, and that is, that's the tricky part. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing too, older patients. So there's a lot of factors to to consider and, you know, teasing out what caused what is 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 a really difficult thing to do. But it's something to keep in mind. And it's yep. something to have that conversation with your your doc about mm-hmm. when you're going into this. Yeah. OK, so let's um, was there anything that, that's all the questions I had. We, we, we kind of jumped in as the uh, address the celebrity aspect of it, which is kind of had at the end. But yep. I, uh, was there anything else you wanted to add in or you want to go answer some questions? No, let's answer questions. Yeah. OK. Start from the top. I usually start from the top and scroll down. <laughs> well, we, we got that fixed. Let's see if there. It'll be down a little bit further. Okay. I'm 26 and I'm on my third egg retrieval. I've only had one chromosomally, chromosomally normal embryo, debating transferring two, but not sure. Um, when you have p- patients in that situation, because that's a young per- person. It is. Um, well, let's, I, I just, out of my own, what? And, and I don't know how many got tested. Right. That, 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 that to me is low. Like what kind of number? Yeah, okay. But in a 26 year old, I would expect about 75% of their pers- those embryos to be normal. So you have five embryos. I'm thinking, you know, four of them, three to four should be normal. So that makes me go back. If you're 26 and you have, let's say, at least three embryos that were tested, 
you know, what, what's going on? Is it, is it egg quality? Is there a sperm issue that we don't know? And then again, that goes back to the individuality of this process and that we can't generalize that your particular circumstance. Um, but still at 26, I would anticipate that if we're transferring two embryos that, that there should be a high likelihood that those are both normal, which means you have mm -hmm. a very high likelihood of having twins. Twins, yeah. And I think you just have to be aware of that. And I, I get also the fact that one, IVF is expensive and having a failed transfer is emotional and it's stressful. And I get that part as well. And so it, it is playing with this line of like doing well by the patient emotionally and financially. Mm -hmm. But then also we want to do right by you in terms of giving you a single healthy pregnancy that you're going to hopefully carry to term with very minimal, if any, complications. And so I would definitely have that talk with your doctor and see what else is going on. Because at 26, to have only one normal embryo, there must be something else kind of underlying. Yeah, but the, um, but it's, it didn't say she had had any failed transfers or not. And then how could she transfer two if there's only one normal? So we're missing some information there, Becca. If you want to add it in, maybe we'll get to that. But, you know, my, what, what I'm catching here is that it doesn't say anything about whether or not she's had failed transfers and then right. where that transferring to, if we've only had one chromosomally normal. So yeah, we need to get more information on that. But, yeah. you know, again, uh, you know, at 26, you know, would you still, um, you know, follow the same guidelines of having transfers, uh, that were, that had failed before you would recommend putting into, right? I, in a 26 year old, that would be a really hard decision. I mean, yeah. like, if you don't test your embryos, which at 26, you really don't even theoretically, I, I would get it if you didn't test your embryos, but I would only put in one. And yeah. I'm we'd have to really see what things look like after like two to three to even consider two, because you are so young that your risk of twins is going to be much higher than yeah. say eight year old who's putting in two untested embryos. Yeah. And then uh, one of our colleagues here, I uh, follow him on, uh, uh, on Instagram. So he, he put in here that insurance may mandate, may mandate single embryo transfer. Is that true? So, so is it, does insurance have a say? Um, I would say insurance companies have a preference. They prefer one because one pregnancy has much less complications than two or three. And that, you know, we are trying to go towards one. One we know minimizes pregnancy complications, hospital visits, the neonatal aspect of mm -hmm. having um, and so some do want you to transfer one embryo at a time. I would say as a medical field, our field is leaning towards one at a time. And, and then there's going to be this balance. You know, some clinics have hard and fast rules of if you have a tested embryo, it's one at a time. Mm -hmm. And other clinics don't. And, and that's where you're going to, you know, have to work with your, your doctor and, and what feels right for you. Right. Okay, question. What is the point of grading embryos if they may look great but test abnormal? So I, is it possible to have a good looking embryo that's chromosomally abnormal? Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely have, we have a great embryo. So what I call a good embryo in, in how we're grading is like a four or five AA, like is it, is it hatching? How do the cells look in terms of expansion, et cetera? Um, and yeah, absolutely. You can. That's why testing really helps us pick out the best embryo. Gotcha. Why we used to transfer two embryos is because we could have two beautiful looking embryos mm -hmm. morphologically transfer them both and neither take yeah. it because of the uterus or is it because the embryos happen to be abnormal when we're yeah. testing that's giving us a little more information that we're putting back that one normal embryo. And if you're not getting pregnant two or three times after putting back normal embryos, it takes away a factor that, that we didn't, that, that, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. not chromosomes, it's something else going on mm -hmm. and working with that. And so it just gives us more information. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so if you say you have some embryos and they're not a quote unquote good quality in anyone, 
um, would anyone be more inclined to go transfer to just because the, the quality isn't good? Does that make sense? I guess is that what it, you're asking? I would still say probably still one, if, if it, especially mm -hmm. to day five. Um, if you're under 35 and you're, we're transferring embryos, we're probably still recommending to start with one at a time. Mm -hmm. um, because again, you can still have an embryo that looks okay and still be normal. Okay. Okay. Not a perfect test of just looking at embryos and determining if they're normal or not. And this is a question. I, I, the higher grade embryos usually test normal and we just answer that. Well, probably usually they do, but they, it can be abnormal, right? Absolutely be abnormal. I, I, I would never guarantee that a, a great looking embryo is going to automatically implant. So, yeah. I, and um, I never, I, I never asked the grade. I mean, I only had one embryo uh, myself, obviously didn't take, but out of the five embryos we had with the donor, I never asked the grade, but I know that people, I know of several people who really, really, really get hung up on the grade. Is there a reason for that? Um, I don't, you know, if we're testing, I wouldn't. Like if, if you have... If you have meaning, a, if you're if you're doing have, genetic testing, yeah, genetic testing. So if you have multiple normal embryos, like the the embryologist will choose the better graded embryo, um, just because it developed along what we expected. You know, it, you know, so we we end up transferring probably that better looking embryo, even if we have two normal embryos that are in front of us. Um, but if if you're not testing embryos and we're transferring them back, well, then it does matter more because that's okay. how you know did this embryo divide normally at the right stages and does, do things look like they should be progressing normally and that's how we're going to determine which one to transfer um you have just two poor quality embryos that might be a case where we do transfer two more two at a time um but that's just going to be depending on your lab again and on what their criteria is gotcha gotcha okay so does in other words does genetic uh, does doing the genetics uh, and having a genetically normal embryo, would that trump the grade? Meaning that would be a normal embryo. But then they, the day that the embryo is tested also matters. So a okay, why? five or six embryo that's been tested has about, depending on the clinic, has about a 60-ish percent chance of a live birth. Day okay. seven has a much lower chance of live birth, much higher chance of, of miscarriage for whatever reason. And, and this mm -hmm. very young clinics, but day seven, it just took that embryo a lot longer to get to where it needed to be to okay. test. And so, you know, we just don't know that reproductive potential. It's just not as good as a day five or day six. So okay. we're going to reference day five and day six normal embryos. Day sevens are kind of lagging behind that um, and, and go from there. Gotcha. Good. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Okay. Um, can you still get pregnant with a low AMH? Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Um, they have done good studies on this that this is, you know, a, we have all these tools to check our fertility and check our reproductive potential. And AMH is a, just a marker of your ovarian reserve. That is how many follicles you, know, you have in your ovaries at a given period. Whether you have three or 23, your chance of getting pregnant per month is not different from the next person who has the higher number. They have done studies on this and they've shown this. What The only way that that does matter is that if you go through IVF, let's say you need IVF, we know that we're going to probably get less eggs from you than we would with someone who obviously has like 20 follicles. You mean like during the stimulation process? During the Process. Yeah, because you just don't produce as many follicles with a lower AMH. Yeah, yeah, but that does not mean if you're if you have not even tried to conceive and you have a low AMH, that does not affect your ability to get pregnant in the future. It just means if you need to use this process, we're going to get less eggs from you than someone else, and that just might mean a couple more cycles than someone else. That does not mean that you're going to have less success necessarily, though. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, and that's another thing. Uh, the people are are ask a lot about egg quality and AMH. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and AMH, I mean, I, have, I can have a 30 year old with a very low AMH, like an AMH of 0.3, which is low, mm -hmm. but on egg quality. So even if I get three eggs, 
I can probably get like two embryos to test and maybe one to two of them are going to be normal. And that's mm -hmm. much different than a 42 year old with yeah. an age point two or point three. Egg quality yeah. and yeah. number is different. Egg quality is related to age. Egg number is also semi-related to age, but probably genetics as well. And we don't understand that as much. But quality is more related to age than your AMA. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, let's see. More people are actually asking that. Am I going to get Let's see. Most people just don't have the luxury to choose a gender. Many people only end up with one gender or yeah. maybe only one egg. Yeah. That's and, and that's I think maybe where this conversation got started in terms of rubbing people the wrong way because yeah. a lot of people do IVF in the hopes of having just a child, not a boy or a girl. They want one healthy baby. Yeah. And and that's you know, I have not been through this personally myself, but I can understand how that would rub people the wrong way when when you say that you, you you're wanting something when other people are doing this because they have no resort. This is their only option. So I get that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Oops. Uh, let me go up here. How important is it for a patient with a twin pregnancy to see an MFM? So for me, uh, so it depends. It depends on the comfort level of your OBGYN and managing twin pregnancies. And that's different for every, every general OBGYN. Some of them are perfectly fine with managing a twin pregnancy, but they want us to do the ultrasound to look at the anatomy mm -hmm. or to do a consult because you might have another medical condition or you develop gestational diabetes in your pregnancy or you had went into preterm labor or, pre or something develops in the course of your pregnancy, which would require the input of an MFM. Or you might have pre-existing medical conditions. You might have uh, other issues that might make you high risk on top of having twins, in which case there are plenty of OBGYNs who say I, uh, you might benefit more from the continuous care of an MFM. So it, it all depends. You know, a twin pregnancy at baseline, uh, especially if it's die-die and are different socks and everything, and you're healthy, may not require an MFM if your OB is, okay, you know, okay with managing you. Once you get into the mono-die twins, the mono-mono twins, then that, you know, there's an MFM is like, likely going to be involved in some capacity, if not all capacity, based on the twins, especially if you have other, other pre-existing medical conditions or other complications that develop in your pregnancy. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm 37, no relationship kids, saw my guy last week, and she said, if I want kids, I need to freeze these remaining eggs yesterday. Now I feel pressured and worried I'm left with bad eggs, true or false. So let, let me break that down. Let me ask you a first question. Is there an optimal age to freeze your eggs, or is there, per first part, or is there an age at which it's pointless to freeze your eggs? So I what's the optimal age, and what is there, you know, first, what's the optimal age? Uh, I, I would say there's no real number. Some studies show 36, by 36, 37 is a good age because at that point, financially, you're in a position where you actually might end up using those eggs. And and so that that is one thing. But I will say, obviously, the younger you do this in terms of egg freezing, the better because you technically have better egg egg quality. But that And said, you get more eggs and you tend to get more eggs to right quality. But that said, if you're 29 with a serious partner and you want to get married and try in two years, the likelihood that you use those eggs is low. Yeah. The likelihood that you're 37 and if you're not even thinking about having kids in the next couple of years that you might use these eggs for maybe two or three potentially is much higher and mm -hmm. so it's a balancing act i approach this very individually with each person um and i think this is I, I can't make a blanket statement that you are too late i think at 37 you are at the great age to go see a fertility doctor and talk about it and find out the facts that you need to hear and you determine if this is right for you um if you are 
if you are a person who's saying, I really want to have kids and I, my life will not be complete unless I have three, then yes, I would say probably mm -hmm. have, the, and you might be someone that wants to consider egg freezing because the likelihood that you'll need these for baby three when you're 43 is yeah. much higher and you're going to have nice 37 year old mm -hmm. eggs instead of having to try with 43 year old eggs. And that's just a different, you know, issue with IVF. And so individualized, I would never tell a patient that you were too late and should have done this yesterday. And so a good thing to think is if you're already thinking about it, talk to Dr. Zori about it or someone that does what she does, because yeah. they're really good about ask, asking those questions that you weren't thinking of. You know, like I, I hear all the time, you know, I'm 29, but I'm in a serious relationship. Should I freeze my eggs? Well, if you're in a serious relationship or you're engaged. You know, you may be having children with it by the, your time you're 32, so probably not. Or you're 37 with no, you know, you don't have a significant other. You definitely want kids, and you may want two or three, which could, could put you over 40 by the time. So, yes, you might want to consider freezing. So it goes along with what your personal circumstance is. Yep. You know, and then the other thing to consider, especially as, you know, we're older and, and thinking about do we freeze eggs or do we freeze embryos? Should yep. we use donor sperm? And people ask me that all the time. And I'm sure you see it too. And, and, yep. But that's something that you talk to them about, right? Yep. yep. We, yeah. we have to talk. And I would say, like, definitely have a consult. Like, again, whether you choose mm -hmm. or not, I want you to be informed of your own reproduction. And yes. that you, like, you got the information you needed. And so very individualized decision. I start every visit with, you know, how old are you? Are you in a relationship? How yes. many kids do you want? And, and when do you think you want to have them? or even have your last kid. And that's the conversation. That's where we go from. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, this is what they do all day, every day. And they think about the things that we don't necessarily think about. So that's why just going and having a conversation, you know, will maybe give you some clarity and help you to make a decision one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Does IVF mostly the retrieval, retrieval affect your long-term health? No, it does not. So good studies done does not increase your risk of breast cancer or invasive ovarian cancer. It does not increase your risk of going through menopause sooner. We are not taking out extra eggs that would have been there. Each month, your ovaries have a group of eggs and one of them will develop, one of the follicles will develop, the rest of them will die off. So all we're doing that particular month is growing what would have been there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, you know, that's a common thing too, you know, um, or, and we'll add, since I conceive via donor egg or egg donor, um, you know, is that going to affect my fertility because I donated eggs? And explain it one more time. Why is it that, um, you know, either doing IVF or donating your eggs would not affect your future fertility? Just one more time. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. Every month, every woman, every person with ovaries has a group of follicles that gets selected or ha is visible. It could be three if you have a low image. It could be 50. It just depends on who you are. Each month, one of those follicles will grow. The rest of them will die off that mm -hmm. month. You, ha you typically ovulate one egg, one egg at a time. As humans, we typically have one baby at a time naturally. Mm -hmm. All we're doing with IVF and egg freezing is we are giving you hormones to stimulate the eggs or follicles that would have been there, mm -hmm. that would have died off that month. We are not taking out extra. We are not affecting mm -hmm. overall baseline reserve. We are not affecting your future fertility at all. So now on that, on the other hand, since we're talking about it and we have a little bit of time, mm -hmm. does being on birth control preserve your fertility? It does not. Or does it hurt your fertility? It, it, it really does neither. Um, so being on birth control is not saving eggs. Like just because you're not ovulating on the birth control pill doesn't mean you're saving all those eggs for like after you get off the birth control pill. You're still going through them. You just happen to not be ovulating that egg off, but you're still using all those follicles up. So it does not yeah. preserve or save your fertility. It also doesn't harm it. Likelihood that like a person who's been on birth control for 10 years, when they go off of it, 95% of them will resume a normal period within three months. 
However, if you didn't have normal periods before you went on birth control, you probably won't have it necessarily going off of it. And so we have to determine why were you irregular in the first place and then mm -hmm. go to the reason of that. It wasn't the pill's fault. It was something else going on. And so we want to figure out why you were irregular in the first place because you will likely probably still be irregular going off the pill in, in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Okay. Do, does greater number of eggs retrieve suggest lower quality? So uh, if it's a good cycle and, I, and I'm doing IVF, retrieving eggs and I happen to get 30 eggs. Does that mean I have a bunch of, you know, scrap eggs that just happen or are they, does that make sense? Is that what, I think yes. that's what they're asking. Yeah. I would say theoretically, no, if you were, and I will take the caveat of PCOS, we know egg quality can be a little different in women with PCOS mm -hmm. and, and whether it's the higher androgen levels and it, it does potentially change egg quality, it can. And so even if we're getting 35 eggs from someone with PCOS, like really severe PCOS, then quality might not be the best, even if that's a young woman or a young person. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think knowing that, but if you are, again, if you're 32 going through this process, because you know, let's say your fallopian tubes are blocked and you have to do IVF, um, just because we're getting 30 eggs, like I would expect a 32 year old to have a lot of eggs. That doesn't mean they're lesser quality than someone else. It's really age and, mm -hmm. and age and what your, your medical history, like your ability. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about a 42 year old with an AMH of 1.5? Would they have lower egg quality because of age? Yeah. I yep. mean, age and lower egg, you know, age affects your egg quality and quantity, but quality. So the, explain the difference between egg quality, egg quantity. What's the difference? Egg quantity is numbers of eggs or numbers of follicles in your ovaries, which your AMH is like a sort of a marker of not a perfect test, but a marker. Egg quality. There is no test for egg quality. I cannot give a test to someone and say, you have great egg quality or you have poor egg quality it's really based on age and we won't know your true egg quality really until you either get pregnant, uh -huh. go through this IVF process and we see what your embryos look like. Yeah. And so at 42, what the, what the good thing is, if you're 42 with a high AMH, that means hopefully you do one IVF cycle. We're getting a lot of eggs, mm -hmm. which have a higher chance of getting that normal embryo. I agree. Yep. And mm -hmm. Someone has maybe two follicles at a time versus someone who has 20. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, no, unfortunately, you know, and I hear this all the time, take this route, this concoction to improve yeah. your egg quality. Yeah. And I wish that was the, trust me, I wish that was the case because that would have helped me out a hell of a lot. Yeah. But we, there's nothing we can do to affect egg quality, to improve egg quality. It happens as we age. There's nothing we can do about it. It is what it is. I was um, perfectly healthy. I was on, I had no chronic medical conditions. I was working out. I, I was a lot more than I am now because I have twins, but I was very healthy of a great weight, no medications, nothing. My egg quality was crap. I was also 40 to 42. Now, as Dr. Zoria said at the very top of this conversation, there are plenty of people who get pregnant spontaneously after age 40. I deliver them all the time. Mm -hmm. But um, while we're on the topic, since we're going after age 40, uh, I always will say when I can, you can't assume that your fertility over age 40 is going to correlate with what happened with your mom, your sister, your great aunt. Fertility is not inherited. Yeah. I wish, but it's, it's not. not. Yep. And a cautionary tale, you can't assume that IVF is going to be a valid plan B. Mm -hmm. Meaning I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to do it. You know, if I can't get pregnant on my own, I'll just use IVF. That's not the, in my opinion, and maybe you can say this a little bit more eloquently than me, this is what you do. I feel that um, 
you can't assume that or use it as a plan B because it may not work, especially as after you get after age 40, like it didn't work for me. I had to use someone else's eggs. The process or you know, the technology worked for me, but IVF didn't give me my own babies. I had to use someone else's eggs, even though I was healthy. Um, and again, I'm not saying nobody, you know, there's plenty of 40 year olds who get pregnant with their own eggs, you know, through IVF, but you can't assume. You so cannot. don't, right. So go ahead and add, add, expand on that a little yeah. bit better than what I just said. No, I would, I completely agree. You can never assume that this is going to work. And we, and people like to hold this IVF as like the, the final option that this is going to give me the child I want. And we have to be realistic and say that that's not the case. There is still a chance that IVF can fail. Now, it's normally the best treatment for what we have to offer compared to like an IUI cycle or, yeah. or medications. Um, but it still can fail. Um, most people will probably do pretty well. That's going to be age dependent though. Again, um, mm -hmm. and I, I am not one to say that over 40 cannot get pregnant on their own, but I think mm -hmm. it's important to know just the limitations and we have to know how our age affects our fertility. And we have, we have to be aware of that. Um, and know that conversation. That way you can plan. I'm not telling everyone that they have to get pregnant and have all their babies by 30. I'm saying if you want to wait till you're 40, let's take proactive actions about that. Maybe we're freezing eggs when we're younger mm -hmm. to give us that option that you may not have to use donor egg because you're basically your own donor because you did this at 33 and froze some mm -hmm. eggs. And, mm -hmm. and it's important that women have that flexibility because, you know, we want to finish our education or our schooling or travel or our careers. And you should have that option, but just know about your fertility and know right. what can do and what we can't do. And I would never have you up as a guarantee. If you freeze eggs with us, with anyone, no one can guarantee you the eggs you freeze today will result in a future child too. So it's important to know the limitations to what we're doing as well. Right. I mean, and I know it sounds scary and it, it can be scary, especially when you're investing money and you're taking money or you're taking out a loan and you want that outcome. But, yep. you know, knowing what the realities are and being prepared is much better than not being prepared. And no one's trying to scare or, or fear monger. I get accused of that all the time. No yep. one's trying to fear monger, but education is power and yep. knowledge is power and it, it empowers you to help make a better decision. And another thing to consider along this path is what is your financial situation, especially if you don't have IVF coverage, yep. you know, you're heading towards age 40 and you know, you talking to someone like Dr. Zori, you know, am I going to spend my money on five IUIs or am I going to go straight? You know, those are all things to think about because you might have X amount of dollars to potentially spend and you want to maximize what your financial situation allows you to do. So, yep. and we didn't mention that. I just want to bring it up. Your yep. finances are a factor as well, right? <laughs> A lot of people don't have coverage. Some very lucky people, lucky people do. And especially in the Bay Area, there's, there is a lot of fertility benefit coverage, but not everyone has that. And I think knowing, again, individual success rate for you and each treatment, because if you're going to do six IUIs, at that point, you probably could have paid for the one IVF that could have hopefully given you better success. So I think knowing, you know, your own history and how each treatment can be successful for you and knowing the differences, because finances does matter. This is not cheap. I understand that. And, and I want to emphasize, too, that, you know, with twins, we have both also delivered very healthy, normal twins at beautiful deliveries at 37 or 38 weeks. Yeah. Yes, that can absolutely happen. So we're, again, we're not trying to fear monger and say it can't happen, but I think it's important to be educated and aware of the risks and what could happen so that you can plan better and, and be prepared for the possibilities is, is really the goal. Yeah. And then, you know, there's some questions here about being over age 40 and getting that embryo transferred. Another one, she's 42. She's had three C-sections, transabdominal cerclage. Am I not risk with having any issues? Of course. I mean, of course, you know and I'm getting ready to put this paper I just wrote with one of my residents is coming out soon and I'll share it with you guys about the risk uh, of being pregnant over age 40 specifically. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there are risks to that. And there's risk of uh, advanced maternal age at baseline, no matter how healthy you are mm-hmm. in pregnancy. Uh, and no matter whether you had IVF or not. So those are things to consider. So, you know, whether you're using IVF after age 40 or you're not, you know, you have to be aware of what the potential added risk is based on your age alone. And then if you have underlying medical conditions or complicated past pregnancy history, that is also something to consider because it will affect your pregnancy after age 40. Um, We have a few more minutes. That's a little, is there anything you did to get pregnant? So, you know, um, when you're doing IVF, especially older, um, the only thing I did on my last cycle, uh, mm-hmm. because I, I, well, my last transfer was I did acupuncture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it helped because I'm a physician that's high stress job. And, you know, I, I think it helped my stress level, which I do think there's something to be said about the stress level when you're going through fertility treatments. I don't know if that's what allowed me to get pregnant at the end, but I am an advocate for that. Is there anything that you're an advocate for to help improve the process or the potentially the outcomes during an IVF cycle? You know, I, I'm an advocate of acupuncture, but it's not something I require patients because I will say, I think some people truly do get benefit from acupuncture. It de-stresses them, they feel better and it, and it helps them. But in that sense, you know, it's more money it's time. And if, if it adds stress to your life, if going to an acupuncture treatment adds stress to your life, then okay, no, don't do it. But if it's going to impact you financially, then maybe that's not for you. Maybe it's meditation or yoga or, or something else journaling. Um, but I'm definitely for alternative medicine in terms of what, what you need to feel relaxed and calm and, and, and in a good place. And, and that's different for everyone. But I'm a, a supporter of acupuncture, but I will say it's not a requirement if it's something that it feels good for you and you like to do it, then by all means, definitely do it during treatment. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. I mean, while we're on that topic, um, you, whatever you're taking that someone in a chat room told you, someone on a Facebook group told you, you have to tell Dr. Zori what you're taking. She needs to know. Yes. Because again, and, and these, the herbs and all this, we don't have data on how they affect IVF and the treatment and maybe yeah. they impact it negatively. However, we don't know that. And so I, I typically, and I would say a, a lot of our guys probably will stop some of the herbs and certain things because we don't want any cross reaction with our medicines to affect treatment. And when we're going to trigger you and follicle sizes, et cetera, lab values. And so definitely let your, your doctor know of anything you're taking. They may keep you yeah. on Tell them. Well, you, look, you're, 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 you're spending money. Yep. You're going through this process. You are, you have a good relationship with someone like Dr. Zori. You have to be transparent. That's the best work. It's a working relationship. In, in other words, you, you have to let them know what you're doing. And so they can best treat you to help you get the best outcome. So if you feel like I can't tell her that, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> yeah. Or if you don't feel comfortable with your doctor, then talk to someone. You might be a new doctor because again, yeah. partner with you and get you pregnant in the safest and most efficient way possible. That is my goal. Like I, I want you to have the family that you want. And so we have to be on the same page on this journey together. Yeah, you should yeah. be like, or your REI is like your partner in this mm-hmm. and that you're going through this together. That is how mm-hmm. I, I hope all of my patients feel in this yeah. process. So a couple more questions and then we're going to run out of time, but um, what the whole egg freezing thing, mm-hmm. let's just talk about what is the typical cost on average of an egg, egg freezing cycle? Yeah. Typically about 10,000, I would say on average. Um, some places have packages or 
um, payment plans. Spring Fertility does. It's no down payment, no interest payment plan over three years. Um, so it's an option to hopefully make it more affordable to people who don't have insurance coverage for it. So yeah, you can also, and that's a good thing to bring up, you can look at different fertility centers in your area to see what kind of packages and plans they have, because a yep. lot of these centers do have them yep. that might make it more affordable and more reasonable, especially for egg freezing, but even for IVF. So there's certain, a lot of programs that are out there, um, make sure you research and find out what your options are. Yep. Along the other thing with egg freezing, is there a certain number of eggs that you guys prefer to have frozen for an individual? Is there a certain number that you would like to have? I would say definitely dependent on age and how many kids you think you want and how old and really how old you are and likelihood of using those eggs. And, and we, on our, on our website, we have a, a, a calculator that based okay. on published studies, put your age in the number of frozen eggs you might have and see what that percentage is and see how you feel about it. It will mm -hmm. never could freeze a hundred eggs and it will never be a hundred percent. It will be high. But, mm -hmm. and so you have to see, you know, likelihood of using these eggs and how many kids do you want? And with mm -hmm. that, you have a conversation with your doctor. Yeah, so um, I get that question all the time, but uh, I, I, it's a good point. It, it depends on your age, where you are, you know, how many kids you, you when you think you're going to start having kids, how many you want to have, as to how many eggs you want in the bank, if you will. And some people, and I've had friends who needed to go through more than one egg freezing cycle yep. to get that ideal number of eggs. Yep. So that's also something to consider. You know, uh, and this is the last point I'm going to make. You know, if you're someone who's thinking about it, and I have a few friends that are in this boat right now, and I'm on them all the time, but with each passing year, you know, the chances of having less eggs to freeze, if once you get to that point, it's going to affect how many you get to freeze. And you just have to consider that. So if you're starting to think about it at age 30, and I've had a couple of friends and now they're 35 and 36 or 37, they're still thinking about it. I'm like, stop thinking about it. Just do it. <laughs> you know, just do it. So, but you know, uh, you know, some people are stubborn and, uh, but you know, if, once you start thinking about it, talk to doc someone like Dr. Zori, so she can give you those stats and, or, you know, they can give you those stats to let you know uh, where you stand and when the best time to be, to, to freeze your eggs would be. Yep. Agree. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I want to let you go. It's going to cut us off here soon. Thank you so much. This is a great session. Thank Have a great you. rest of your day. And thanks for doing this on such short notice. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Alrighty. Bye. bye. I hope you enjoyed that discussion. Listen to the next episode where I discuss how to pick an obstetrician and questions to ask.